like I'm getting more and more outside of myself. But not in a good way. Like, I'm watching myself do these things. And I, 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 I'm having these thoughts, and I don't know if, if this is the real me, or if the real me is this other person that's, that's thinking these, these things, and I... I don't know, maybe it's normal, maybe it's normal, but it's, it's, it's not normal, I know it's not normal, it can't, it can't be normal, I can't be normal, and... We'll be okay, I promise. Everything will be better when the baby comes. Will it be all right when the baby comes? What you just heard was the trailer from the film called Tilt. And this is What Are You Frightened For? I'm Louise Burns. My name is Johnny Suck. AKA The Back Office. And for the next few weeks, we'll be here on Moving Picture Radio talking to you about some of the films that we saw at this year's Fantasia Film Festival. And we'll be doing some reviews and connecting themes and reading into fears. And asking the question of why are we frightened? And uh, yeah, exploring fear and anxiety in 2017. So we'll start with Tilt. Tilt is uh, directed by Kazra Farahani, who also wrote the film. Um, it uh, is about a young married couple. Uh, the woman is expecting her first baby. It was unplanned pregnancy. She is going to school and and is primary breadwinner of the family and is doing sort of all the heavy lifting in terms of domestic activity. He is a documentary filmmaker. The first film that he made was Tilt about pinball machines, but it wasn't really about pinball machines. It was an allegory for um, chance and rationality. And um, he's wor- his current project is about the 50s and the American dream and uh, the golden era and sort of the myth of all that. So he is uh, in the basement in his sort of man cave looking at a lot of archival footage and then switching a microphone on and basically ranting about the fallacies of all of this. Um, It has a clip where the couple is sitting on the couch and watching um, Trump do, this is prior to him being actually elected, it's during his campaign, and he is um, yelling away at the television screen, you know, about what an asshole he is. And she looks at him and says, if you, if he pisses you off so much, why don't you just turn it off? And so the theme of being sort of delighted in your own uh, uh, anger, um, a male rage, I think, is very present in this film. And then, as you heard from the clip, and which we're going to tie into the other films that we saw, it is very much about a dark other side to your personality, which is very compulsive, has violent uh, fantasies, uh, do, you know, the, the kind of dark urges, resisting these dark urges. In the couple, it particularly is uh, comes to, to light, and, and in the other films too, about the kind of tension and 
um, of the capacity of those around these people to one detect that this is happening to like measure the gravity of it and three do anything about it which is actually really common in all the films that we saw and tilt is the issue internal uh, for the man or does he does his wife see it um well she's trying to be the loving supporting uh spouse she is also very wrapped up in her own issues i.e she trumps him <laughs> pun in sorry um, <laughs> because she's pregnant and so the one of the things I liked the best about the film was how it depicted common uh, claustrophobia and tension in romantic relationships where both are trying to move towards their own self-satisfaction and happiness and they fight saying like it's my turn now i mean i've made all these sacrifices uh in order to support you so that you could be a documentary filmmaker and you know now we're having a baby and i'm going off to work and i'm uh you know taking classes at night and it's your time to step it up and his kind of um resentment of that and you know you understand that that his vision of himself as a as a intellectual and as a documentary filmmaker and as an artist is really important to his identity and so you know domesticity squashing um though that kind of impulse is the source of his rage but at the same time his you know obsession with the intellectualizing the 50s and his own perspective and point of view and his own male rage is driving me him crazy to the point where he's like really engaging in dark, um, p potentially violent, potentially, you know. <laughs> now, so the basic Action. story sounds like a very, uh, something that's very common and relatable. Yeah. That situation is the darkness that he's descending into. Is that also relatable? Or is that something that you've seen elsewhere? In Are you asking people? me if I have psychopathic tendencies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I thought it was relatable. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that was the strength of the film, was, is, was to make it relatable. So to make the monster not the other, but something that you could connect with and could see. And especially, as I said, you know, the way that the, the claustrophobia and the compromise of, of domestic relationships, you know, to try and be supportive of him and to sort of see optimism in spite of his increasingly kind of aberrant behavior you know it there's very subtle um hints like smoking and, and drinking too much and spending too much time downstairs working on this project and then i mean because we see what she doesn't see which is you know going off for long walks in the night and looking at the homeless man on the corner and then being feeling like he he wants to do something violent towards him and you know so increasingly kind of more and more um, darker uh, urges. And that pretty much describes perfectly the next movie we're going to yes. talk about, which is My Friend Dahmer, where uh, the movie is essentially a character portrait of Jeffrey Dahmer as a teenager. Do you know what started it? Was there any kind of incident that you can remember? To this day, I don't know what started it. And uh, the person to blame is sitting right across from you. That's the only person. 
not uh, parents, not society, not pornography. I mean, those are just excuses. Doesn't really have a plot necessarily, but just shows the character, a bit of his day-to-day -day life, some important uh, moments, you know, as a teenager, formative moments. And we see these things of little bits of behavior. You know, we see him in his shack where he's uh, putting roadkill in jars of acid to see how they dissolve. Seeing when he's with friends and they're fishing, they catch a fish and he suddenly just starts stabbing it violently to see what's inside. And the friends, you know, are seeing a little bit of this and they're like, okay, he's a bit strange. Nothing too out there though. But as viewers of the film, you see everything together and you see where this character is from and where they're going as all these little bits and pieces come together, including standing on the side of the road, you know, looking at joggers and fantasizing about what he wants to do to the joggers on the street. This was based on a graphic novel and also was filmed actually in the house that Jeffrey Dahmer grew up in. Um, so the accuracy of the time is really, uh, time and place was important to the filmmaker and really comes across like almost like a documentary, but it clearly not. Um, we know that it is from the friend's perspective and there's some interesting kind of questions that perhaps he had uh, in hindsight, because I guess if you uh, go to high school with someone who ends up to being a very famous serial killer, you may have some reflection on that. Like, again, can you detect it? Um, did you detect it and, 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 you know, like put blinders on or ignore it? And if you did detect it, is there anything you could do? I mean, there's um, uh, some psychological explanation of a Dahmer character, but a largely, you know, um, he's just played as this sort of interesting outsider who hasn't got like normal social uh, or like emotional intelligence or social intelligence. He, he doesn't really understand basics of um, socializing with other people. He is um, clearly intelligent and, uh, you know, interested in biology and has a certain kind of charm and his friends that he doesn't have any friends he's he's bullied and outcast a lot and he acts out by sort of um uh doing this kind of like comedy spastic routine that some uh people some some other teenagers sort of look at and say this is hilarious this guy's great and so they befriend him because of his oddness and sort of have him as a loving mascot which borderline is are they embracing him or are they exploiting him are they making fun of him or are there is there is the connection to them uh genuine and this is part of Dahmer's kind of like uh you could see that that's part of his internal struggle as well and the characters the teenage boys around him don't know the answer either or it never even occurred to them to contemplate it. One character never occurred to him to contemplate it. And that says a lot about sort of adolescence, about how those, that kind of like insight or the, how bullying and how uh, just general crappy behavior to each other can happen because you just haven't developed in terms of understanding those kind of sensitivities. So question is how much of that is responsible for 
the path that he went down, you know, how much of an influence did these people have on who he became? Don't make fun of Dahmer. <laughs> At first it was just curiosity, and then it became compulsive. Then I tried to uh, keep the person alive by inducing a zombie-like state. Um, by uh, injecting uh, first a dilute acid solution into their brain or uh, hot water. And uh, it never did completely work. Just wanting to control them, to, uh, I don't know how to put it, uh, possess them permanently. And that's why you killed them. Right. Yeah, that's the question. I mean, uh, it's the question on Tilt as well, which is like, uh, why do some people like go right up to the edge and then go right over the edge? Yeah. And, you know, fantasy is one thing, but action is a totally different thing. And my friend, and my friend Dahmer, we see the father identifies with mm -hmm. a little bit what's going on with his son and tries to steer him on a different path doesn't work you have yeah these friends that try to bring him in a little bit maybe not genuine uh, genuinely doesn't necessarily work and and hash plays his mother who is always got a drink in her hand what's in the drink is never really obvious but it, but she's um evidently has a history of mental health problems and she's also loving but kind of incapable and I guess another uh, profound kind of like motivation or explanation for his his behavior is, is loneliness and abandonment, and uh, I mean, that seems like the, it, the the family is going through it's like divorce during adolescence, uh, parents uh, preoccupied, emotionally checked out, his father leaves and. Um, his mother also leaves, so he's alone, and that's kind of brought as an explanation. Um, the film was uh, directed by Mark Mayers and um, stars someone whom a lot of people have heard of because he's some sort of Disney person. He starred in Teen Beach Movie, which I watched a few clips, and uh, he, he's, this actor can definitely do both Ross Lynch both is the guy's name. Yeah. And he's great. He's really good in it. Um, should we move to the next film? Do you have uh, anything else yeah. you want to say about that? Just add, so my friend Dahmer will get a limited release this mm -hmm. fall. So you can probably check it out at Cinema de Park uh, sometime October, November. Yeah. And uh, the last film that we want to talk about is called Super Dark Times. Do you want to do a little plot summary? Yeah, so Super Dark Times is about four bored teenagers hanging out after school one day, you know, typical day of just messing around, wandering around in their small town. This time someone brought his older brother's samurai sword, fooling around with it, and then it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye, except this time the person lost a lot more than an eye. And this movie is about the loss of innocence, about teenagers dealing with their problems and 
hiding them, feeling like they can't talk to anyone about them, trying to solve them on their own. And of course, teenagers are terrible at that, so the problems get worse. And it shows, uh, like the other films, the path that someone can go down where they have these, you know, dark urges that, you know, they can't express and they just come out in strange, violent ways. It was directed by Kevin Phillips. Um, it's a fairly, all of these films were pretty uh, modest budgets, that's for sure. And it spent the, it was a, like a slow burner, uh, I would say, that it spent the very uh, beginning of the film really establishing an accuracy in terms of, of what uh, we know as, as being adolescent, which is, you know, bullying as well, and um, friends who are sort of just friends because they've sort of been tossed in together. And then, um, all, you know, that moment that many of us have sort of memories where it's all fun and games until something really horrible <laughs> happens, how things can turn on a dime, and in this case, uh, someone is dead. This The film sort of has three acts in a way, and like, so once the someone dies, then there's the choice to cover it up literally with, uh, you know, the body and leaves. It's very stand by me for uh, reference to another film. And then they all sort of go their separate ways and don't hang out as a group so much. And that separation creates a lot of paranoia, which was really interesting in this film, because uh, your fate, because you were there, is very much in the hands of not only how you deal with it, which is hard enough, it's also how the people you're around are dealing with it. So that intensity of paranoia um, builds. And then there's another murder that happens. That uh, And in all these films, a lot of the violence is off screen, which is interesting and it kind of um, works in creating, um, you know, that how bad it is, is how much your imagination allows it to be. <laughs> so if you have a very vivid imagination, and if you can imagine, I mean, okay, so you're one of the, you may, perhaps you, you didn't kill this person, but you were there, and so you know you're implicated, and so much of what's going to happen to you is dependent upon what they say, you know, and then m more bad things happen, and there is a question of, like, suspicion, um, is the person, is he, is, is he an okay kid or just a little eccentric or is he a psychopath, <laughs> that whole problem and, and he does actually become a psychopath. Um, one of the other comments I wanted to make about that, um, I mean, in, is the role of adults in all of these films is really interesting. Like they're, like in this one, there's no fathers. No, and even and, the mothers are pretty distant. And They're... the mothers are preoccupied with their own problems. And it is, all of them deal with male rage in a lot of ways, like pent-up, compulsive. Uh, and the other things that I wanted to say was that um, their book end by patriarchal control, which is the police. And in this film in particular, but in all of them, you know, there's that question of, oh my God, the, what if the cops get involved? But at the same time, you're sort of feeling like, oh my God, somebody get the cops. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's the dichotomy of knowing that the system is going to get these people into big trouble, but at the same time, it's inevitable. Like, so, so they're going to find the body, you know. Uh, 
well, in some cases it takes, uh, like in Dahmer's case, it takes 20 years. Yeah, but. and there was multiple bodies. So again, you're going to somebody, you know, call the authorities, where is, where is the structure in this kind of like anarchic, uh, emotional, uh, what do we want to call it? Obviously the, the kind of volatile um, interior life of these characters. And yeah, for each of these movies, especially Super Dark Times and My Friend Dahmer, what I liked about them was that they're kind of small stories. They're not, you know, large, fantastical, exciting things. They're just about, you know, teenagers in small towns doing mm-hmm. their teenager in a small town thing. And, you know, I've known a number of weird teenagers in my day. Yeah. And, you know, you see characters, you know, real people that I know in the film. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder <laughs> which of my friends is, uh, is the cannibal. Is the cannibal amongst us. Yeah, I mean, the theme, I guess, in terms of us discussing, like, what are you frightened for? I mean, what is frightening is the fact that it is familiar, that we do know people who are lonely, socially odd, um, kind of gotten a a bad hand in terms of, you know, unloved (laughs) by their families or, you know, how how kind of potentially uh, devastating cocktail that is. And some people, uh, you know, come out okay and others become dangerous human beings. And our capacity to be able to uh, see it in front of our own faces and then our capacity to be able to do anything about it. uh, That's the stuff. And so Super Dark Times, actually, one last thing to say about it is that it just won uh, the best film of the festival at a Swiss festival this past week, a Swiss fantastic festival that I can't pronounce the name of, that had 150-something movies playing, and it's going to be released video on demand in October, so you can keep your eyes open for that. Come back next Wednesday morning for uh, more reviews. And uh, that's it. Could someone like you be stopped? Could you be helped? No, I, I was, I was dead set on, on going with this compulsion. It was the only thing that gave me any, uh, any satisfaction.